Colossians this morning, or this morning, this evening, I should say. Colossians chapter 1, verses 1 to 10, and we'll read uh, responsibly, of course. We'll read the five even-numbered verses with me, please, in unison. I'll read the five odd-numbered verses. Colossians chapter 1, General Electric Power Company, in case you don't remember how to get to Colossians. Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians. I'm stalling, so you get there. Okay. Let's read responsibly the first 10 verses, if we could, and we'll get right into the preaching of God's Word tonight. Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, by the will of God, and Timotheus, our brother, to the saints and faithful brethren in Christ, which are at Colossae, grace be unto you, and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. We give thanks to God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, praying always for you, since we have heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of your love which you have to all saints, excuse me, for the hope which is laid up for you in heaven, whereof ye have ye heard before in the word of the truth of the gospel, which is come unto you as it is in all the world, and bringeth forth fruit as it doth also in you since the day ye heard of it and knew the grace of God in truth. As ye also have learned of Epaphras, our dear fellow servant, who is for you a faithful minister of Christ, who also declared unto us your love in the Spirit. For this cause we also, since the day we heard it, do not cease to pray for you and to desire that ye might be filled with the knowledge of his will in all wisdom and spiritual understanding." that ye might walk worthy of the Lord unto all pleasing, being fruitful in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. May God especially the reading of his word. You may be seated tonight. And we're in, of course, the second lesson this, 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 uh, in this book of uh, Colossians, obviously, Christ first in this book of Colossians. It's a refutation of, uh, of the, the beginning seeds of what we know of as Gnosticism. And, of course, we'll talk about in detail the, the, the heresies of Gnosticism and then, of course, mysticism and then, then asceticism. Right now, I'm sure probably three, three words that many of you don't even know what they mean, but uh, the questioning of uh, who God is and so forth, who Christ is especially. Our text verse for the, bo- the book is verse number 18 of chapter 1. And he, that's Jesus Christ, is the head of the body, the church, who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in all things he might have the preeminence or might have first place. And so we want to look at this church at Colossae in detail this, this, this evening here, if we could here. We looked at about the city of Colossae uh, last Wednesday night, of course, and we want to just jump right into this church at Colossae. Notice verse number two as we begin, to the saints and faithful brethren in Christ which are at Colossae. The church at Colossae, I mentioned last week, and I just in way of review or reminder, most of the New Testament was written to local New Testament, independent, autonomous, local churches. They had uh, one God, one Father, the Lord Jesus Christ, one Savior, one Spirit, and uh, they, they were taught, and of course, the Word of God, of course, was being written at this time, obviously, the New Testament, and we believe this book was written in about 55 uh, uh, A.D., of course. Paul's the human author, of course. He's in prison, and uh, he, is, uh, 
his fellow laborer, Epaphras, we'll talk about him in a few moments probably, verse number seven, he's probably the founder of this church at Colossae. There's no record that Paul was ever at this church at Colossae himself, but uh, he was at the neighboring, he was in uh, Laodicea and uh, probably Hierapolis as well, but we don't know if he, he, he could have been through Colossae, but he didn't help start the church evidently, but one of his fellow laborers, Epaphras, did. I want to explain this, this evening as we begin to the saints and faithful brethren, verse 1, in Christ. Uh, what do we know about the church of Colossae? First of all, the members of the church were saints. Let's fill in the blank word. They were saints. That is, I've used it many times, but it's the word hagias, holy ones. We are saints. We are the, uh, saints in Jesus Christ. Uh, the Catholic Church, of course, uh, offers, uh, confers sainthood on certain uh, of their for certain of their uh, church members, of course, as time goes on. But we are sanctified. We are sanctified the moment we are saved. And there's many verses that teach us this. First Corinthians one two in the salutation to the church at Corinth, Paul said unto the church of God which is at Corinth to them that are sanctified in Christ Jesus, called to be saints, with all that in every place call upon the name of, the, of Jesus Christ our Lord, both theirs and ours. Notice how we become saints, by calling upon the Lord Jesus Christ. And uh, we become saints of God, we become sanctified. And so, saints, we are holy ones. So the church, this is a called out assembly. We don't expect, uh, we'd like to have visitors, of course, and uh, we want to be a church for all people, of course. But the church is a called out assembly, and it's for God's people. And the natural man receiveth not the things of the Spirit of God for their foolishness unto him, neither can he know them, for they're spiritually discerned. And so uh, this church that we're talking about is a called-out assembly of believers. And uh, in this town of Colossae, of course, this, this city of Colossae that's uh, deteriorating city of Colossae. So this church at Colossae, of course, the members were uh, saints, that is, holy ones, and then the Bible says, faithful brethren. Notice verse number two again. And faithful brethren in Christ, which are at Colossae. Now notice the salutation and the greeting. It says, grace be unto you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's go on to uh, uh, the number two here on the worksheet here, if you would. The faithful brethren, that is true to the original. If you're faithful, you're true to the original. What are Christians but little Christ? That word faithful is the Greek word pistos or pistis actually it is, but uh, it's the word, it's found many times in our Bible. To be faithful is to be reliable, trustworthy, loyal, but most of all it's to be true to the original. I'm a follower of Christ. If you're saved, you're to be a faithful brother, follower of Christ. And so these saints are holy ones, they're true to the original. Then number three, notice that they're both in verse number two. The saints which are in Christ Jesus, or pardon me, to saints and faithful brethren in Christ, which are at Colossae. We have a dual citizenship. I have a dual membership for our Colossians, or Philippians chapter three, verse 20 says this, for our conversation, or, or in other words, our citizenship is in heaven. For whence also we look for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. I'm a citizen of, the, of heaven. If you're saved, you're a citizen of heaven. But I'm also a citizen of the United States. I'm a citizen of, I'm a resident of Connecticut. And this is where I live. And these, 
these, uh, this church at Colossae was, they were, the members were in both, both in Christ, is the first fill in blank, and in Colossae. We're in Christ. This world is not our home, we're just passing through. We're in Christ. Uh, the world doesn't understand that, but, but we're in Christ. In Christ in you, the hope of glory. But we're also in, uh, not, not, not our case, we're in Connecticut, not Colossae. <laughs> but uh, uh, we're, we're on citizens of the planet Earth here. We're citizens of heaven or citizens of, uh, of America or particularly Connecticut and particularly most of us, Torrington or Harrington or wherever you happen to live. And so these members... God's ordained that the Church of Jesus Christ have holy ones, saints in it, that have been sanctified, that have been saved by the blood of Christ, that they be faithful brethren, true to the original, true followers of Christ, that we are, this assembly is both in Christ and in, and in Colossae or in, uh, in, our, in our city where we live. And then, uh, in fact, Titus 1 says that, verse number 5 says that we are to ordain, Paul said to ordain elders in every city. And it's God's desire and plan that he has a local New Testament assembly in every city and borough and hamlet across the world, of course. And uh, big churches, small churches, big assemblies, small assemblies, but an assembly where people can uh, locally, a local congregation where they can congregate. But then, letter B the second part of verse number two, we see the greeting. Notice what it says. Grace be unto you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Now peace comes from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, there is no peace of God, peace with God until you have Jesus Christ in your heart and life. But uh, notice our Bible says, uh, let's read that salutation together, verse number two, then starting with the word grace. Read it with me one more time, ready? Grace be unto you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Now that's what the word of God says. Uh, Tim, go ahead and put on, I want you to see what the English Standard Version says, so that same verse here. This happens over and over and over again. This is the English Standard Version is a new version of the Bible. It was written in 2001. It's 19 years old now, 18 years old. It's become a Bible that many fundamentalists and evangelicals are using now. Notice what it says in verse number two, just to the bottom line for the sake of time. Grace to you and peace from God our Father. Now, go to the NIV, that's the New International Version. Go to the next one. Notice again, the bottom, of the bottom line. Grace and peace to you from God our Father. Nothing about the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, I don't want to get too detailed and too deep here, but I do want to give you this here. If you study this, and there's so many, there's so many uh, easy ways to study the complicated now, thanks to all these Bible uh, programs that you can easily get on your computer. If I have them, you can get them your, to yourself. And I've had the advantage of having a couple years of Greek, of course, but uh, some of this is more elementary than you think. It's just a matter of just some personal study. But uh, let me try to do this succinctly, but kind of quickly without losing you. Uh, the ASV does not have the Lord Jesus Christ in it, or rather, uh, and the Lord Jesus Christ. Neither does NIV, but the King James does. Now, somebody's right and somebody's wrong, and somebody says, a lot of people say, well, it doesn't really make a big deal, difference. Well, yes, it does. The Bible says every word of God is pure. Now, somebody's, somebody's lying to us. Somebody's telling us 
somebody's right and somebody's wrong. Now, here's, here's the deal. There's a, there's a famous manuscript, the most famous manuscript, ancient manuscript in all the world is called the Sinaiticus. Uh, most of it is in the London Museum. Uh, it's called the Sinaiticus. It's labeled as A. It's called Aleph or A or Sinaiticus. It is the cream belay. How do you say cream, cream belay? Is that how you say it? Cream, 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 what Creme, creme, yeah, creme, creme, creme belay. What's that mean, by the way? That means that that's the best of the best, right? That's the creme belay of, uh, of, of uh, manuscripts, codexes, as they're called. A, Sinaiticus is number one, numero uno. There's about 5,800 manuscripts, ancient manuscripts of the Bible. I'd like to get to the Bibliology Museum in, next to the Smithsonian one of these days. I haven't been there yet. I've been by it several times already, but not been in it. But they have, uh, I understand, a few hundred manuscripts right there of ancient manuscripts of the 5,800 extant manuscripts that they have. A, the, A gets the destination, Sinaiticus gets the destination of the no, most famous manuscript in the world, so it gets the letter A, the first letter of the alphabet, of course. It's a, it's called a, uh, it's an Alexandrian manuscript. Now, there's a, there's, so the most famous manuscript in the world is A, or Aleph, or Sinaiticus, three names for the same thing. The next most famous manuscript, guess what letter that starts with? B, yeah, the B. That's, it's, it's also known as the Vaticanus. And it was found in the Vatican. And it's the second most famous manuscript in all the world. The C, guess what that is? That's the third most famous manuscript, and that's the Alexandrinist manuscript. And I know I'm probably starting to lose you. But A, B, and C are the most famous three manuscripts in, in, in bibliology history. Now, for the record, A has the phrase that we have in our King James Bible, Sinaiticus has, and the Lord Jesus Christ. C has, and the Lord Jesus Christ. B, Vaticanus, does not have it. So A and C have it, B doesn't have it, and if I, you get real, you can go down this uh, wormhole, so to speak, and you study this out and read the commentators, which I read several of them, and I, I got to figure it out very quickly. There's a process, and I do this quickly here, and don't worry, we're not going to get through the lesson I can tell already. I'm going to glance at the clock here. We'll get as far as we can before we move on. There's a process called, I was reading Adam Clark. I don't know if you heard of Adam Clark. He's a famous theologian. He says, well, I prefer, I believe that it's not there, that it's part of B. In other words, he would be an ESV guy. He lived 100 years ago. Or he would be an NIV guy. He would not be a King James guy. He would say, and... and now, A has it and C has it, but B doesn't have it. So how do they determine to put it in their English Bible or not? The answer is, and I'm not making this up, it's called conjectural emendation. You notice how these scholars always make these fancy names for things that, to make it sound complicated? Conjectural emendation. It's a fancy way of saying conjecture, a guess, emendation, an amending of the text, an educated guess. So Adam Clark says, and a guy named Nessel says, and a name is Westcott Hort say, they wrote these Greek manuscripts, or they, they compiled these Greek manuscripts, which we, we get our English Bibles from, and they said, we think, let's flip a coin, kind of like the Iowa caucuses, you know, let's flip a coin, and uh, let's see who wins. And literally, I mean, that's what they did. 
They literally, Adam Clark said in his own commentary, he said, I should have got the quote verbatim, word for word. He says, I don't believe this is part of the the original text. It's an educated guess. A and C have it, B doesn't have it, and so the scholar becomes the the end-all authority, and they say it's not there. Now, now, I, I just uh, just get this off my chest here a little bit. I don't talk about this much any longer, and I know some of you, I know you're smart people, but this is, could, I don't want to go over your head too much. And if you haven't studied this, it it's, 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 uh, can get frustrating. There's a lot, of, a lot of studying to do. But I know many Christians, or several Christians at least, that have studied this, and, have, and they're, they're, some of them are dear believers in Christ. They're wonderful people. They, they, they say that, us King James people or people like me are just, just, just we're just, well, what they really say is we're just wrong. That the Bible is, we got new research and new, 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 uh, new uh, academia, and the new academia says that this is not part of the word of God. Now, let's say for just a moment here, and I'm thinking of some several people right now that I know of in my, my world, they love the Lord, they use these new versions. Now, I know some of them, they've been trained, not only these new versions, but they, they're, at least they're honest about it. Secretly, if you really drill, drill down with them and ask them if they like the King James, they don't like the King James at all. In fact, some of them despise it. Some of them hate it, as a matter of fact, believe it or not, because they say somebody's added to the Word of God or somebody's taken away from the Word of God. And they believe they have a more closer to the original version. And so now, I want you to think about this for a moment. If the ESV is right, let's just pretend for one moment that the ESV, put that back on the screen if you would please, Tim. The ESV is right and the King James is wrong. If that's the case, then for 2,000 years or almost thereabouts, King James came in 1611, and we have a pure line of English translations that all agree with the King James before that, going back three or 400 years, back to the Wycliffe and Tyndale, Coverdale and Matthews and Great Bible and Geneva Bible, all those precursors of the King James Bible, they all have in the Lord Jesus Christ and all the ancient man, uh, the manuscripts back up what we know of the Texas Receptus, they all have that in there. But now new scholarship has come along and these new, new guys have come along and they say, we, and these modern day preachers put together the CSV and they said, we don't think that this is part of the Bible because it's, it's, it's not in B, but it's in A and C. They're guessing if that's the case, then we are following a Bible that God could not preserve for 2,000 years here. Uh, we, we, we are in a mess. If, if we can't trust the Word of God, and now some, some say, the proponents on the other side, just for the record, they say, Marty or a preacher, whoever I am to them, it doesn't matter. It's no big deal. It is a big deal because this book alone is a defense of who Jesus Christ is. And it starts right off the bat. By Jesus Christ, the Lord Jesus Christ. Our peace comes from, listen, you, you know the bumper sticker that says, no Jesus, no peace, K-N-O-W, no peace, no Jesus, N-O, no, no peace. There, the reconciliation between God the Father is through Jesus Christ our Lord. There's no peace without him. And it's very important that we understand that the, the word of God is clear. And Paul uses this this. The other side calls this phrase an expansion of piety. Well, they just threw it in. The translators just threw it in because it sounded better and it gave more worship to Christ. Well, that's, that's the case they're adding to the word of God. But, but so letter B, I don't know if I'm going to give it to you, but fill in the blank. The members of the church are not only in God our Father. 
Let me say it another way. If you are only in God the Father, first of all, you don't have the Father without the Son. John 5, 24. He that hath the Father hath, uh, he that hath not the Father hath not the Son, or he that hath not the Son hath not the Father. John 4, 5, 23. I'm going off memory as a matter of fact. And you, you don't have peace if you don't, you don't have peace by just having God alone, God the Father. You have to have his Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. And so grace and peace, John 1, 17, there's plenty of verses we could just park here for the rest of the time. Grace and peace came through Jesus Christ. It didn't come through Moses. It came through Christ. So we don't get just peace from God the Father. We get peace from his son, the Lord Jesus Christ. In the context, contextually speaking, that needs to be there. And so you've got to discern, determine. Some people say, preacher, you're making a big deal about things. This is going to happen several more times in this little book of Colossians where they take out and people say, well, it doesn't matter. The, the general thoughts are still there. No, uh, the members of the church are not in only God our Father, but in the Lord Jesus Christ. All right, enough said here. Let's move on here if we could to get to verse number three and four, and we probably won't get past that tonight here. But the church at Colossae, I want you to notice the oneness of the church. Verse number three, this is this church that received grace and peace through God the Father and Lord Jesus Christ. They're saints. They're in Christ. They're also in Colossae, this local New Testament church. They were called to give thanks to God the Father of our and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. There it is again, that phrase. But they're unified in thanksgiving. The Bible says in 1 Thessalonians 5:17, I'll start it, you finish it with me. Ready? In everything give what? Thanks. For this is the what? Will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. In everything give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. Romans 1:21 gives us the first step of apostasy in that apostasy chapter where God speaks about giving them over to corrupt minds three times in that chapter. He said one of the first steps of apostasy, in fact, the first step is neither were they thankful. You know, one reason why I come to church is to tell God thank you. We come to church to let God know that we're thankful. We, 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 we uh, offer the attitude of the uh, we have an attitude of gratitude and we offer the sacrifice of praise every time we can. So this church, they were all in agreement over their desire to be unified in thanksgiving. But then not only in thanksgiving, but in verse number three, praying always for you, it says. And so they were unified in prayer. We quoted First Thessalonians 5.17 and everything give thanks, but first. Thessalonians 5.18, the Bible says what? Do you know what it says? Pray, help me out. Pray without ceasing. Good, you got a Bible verse memorized here. Pray without ceasing. Romans 1.9 says, For God is my witness whom I serve with my spirit in the gospel of his Son that, we, that without, mention, without ceasing I make mention of you always in my prayers. Paul was a prayer warrior. I... I uh, been studying, I've been observing, I should say, I guess, for, for years now. It's been several years. We were having a serious trend change in our churches, in our structure, in our Sundays, in our, in our churches in America especially. Sunday nights went by the wayside in most churches many a number of years ago. 
Wednesday nights are gone by the wayside. This used to be a, this used to be the, we call, used to call this the prayer meeting of our church. Thousands of churches across America used to have prayer meetings on midweek, usually on Wednesday, sometimes Tuesday, sometimes Thursday. We've got away from prayer meeting. We see the early church, they were, they were bathed in prayer. The church started off, before the Lord even started off the church in Acts chapter 1, they all continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship and breaking bread and prayers, Acts chapter 2. But chapter 1, God said, I don't really want you to go out. I don't want you to do anything until you're endued with power from on high. I want you to pray first. We got away from prayer. I told the men just moments ago here, just, uh, I got a call. I just, I, 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 it's just case overload. I got a call from a missionary today, which is like, duh. That's normal. Like two times a week, three times a week, I get a call from a new missionary. Can you please call me back? We'd love to come and present our work to you or to work to your church and so forth. It's like, we can't, we can't take everybody in that's calling us. We can't even do it. No, not even close. But we need to pray, pray for our missionaries. We need to pray that God will bless. We need to get concerned about, we used to be a time when uh, we prayed for, fervently for our missionaries and prayed for uh, the work of God to be blessed in a great way. In those days, I'm afraid, uh, the day of the prayer meeting is going by the wayside. This church at Colossae, they were saints. They were, they were faithful brethren. They were faithful loyal. They, they, were in, they were in Christ. They were in Colossae. They had peace and grace not only from God the Father, but from the Lord Jesus Christ. They were a church of thanksgiving, verse number three. Then they were a church of prayer, unified in prayer. But then thirdly, or letter C, they were unified in verse number four. Look what it says here. Since we have heard, we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus. There it is again. Now we see in Christ in verse number two again. We see in the latter part of verse number two, we've spent several minutes on that, on the Lord Jesus Christ. We see it again in verse number three, our Lord Jesus Christ. Again, we see Paul setting a tone. He's setting a precedence here throughout this whole book. Christ is first. He's preeminent. And he says, verse number four, since we heard of your faith, what faith? In Christ Jesus. And so they were unified not only in their prayers and unified in their thanksgiving or their praise, but they were unified in saving faith. Unified in saving faith. Peter said, in Acts chapter 1 and 2, I've already chronicled them. Peter was at the prayer meeting in Acts chapter 1, and then, of course, Acts chapter 2 is Pentecost. We get to Acts chapter 4 for time's sake. And Peter says, and he says, Neither is there salvation in any other, for there is none other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. And so some people put faith in faith. Some people think the power is faith itself. No, the faith is only as good as the object that you put your faith in. Faith is in Jesus Christ. And so my faith has found a resting place, the songwriter says, not in device nor creed. I dare not trust the, the, the sweetest frame. I can't quote the verse all of a sudden. On Christ's solid rock I stand, all other ground is sinking sand. So unified in saving faith. Simple faith is saving faith when it is in the Savior. I gave the illustration last week. I think it was last Wednesday night. I'll give it again. Maybe it was Sunday, a couple weeks ago, whatever it was. But uh, I had a certain preacher question whether I was really saved. And I got a chuckle out of that. I, I didn't defend me. It almost made me giddy. almost made me silly. And I got so happy. 
Because I know whom I believed in. I, I know who I got saved by. And I know it's not in Marty. I know my salvation is not, my, is not faith, my faith is not fixed in that I try to live for the Lord. My faith is not fixed in the fact that uh, I try to read my Bible every day. Or the faith, faith, my faith is not fixed on, fixed on being good, doing good works. My faith is in Christ. And that's the church of the living God. Our true faith is in saving faith in Jesus Christ our Lord. And then letter B, and we'll end with this, or letter D rather. Uh, Last part of verse number four. Since we have heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love which ye have to all the saints. There's that word agape, that love there, and of the love which ye have to all the saints. Unified not only in, in uh, thanksgiving or praise, unified in prayer. This local church is unified in saving faith that the salvation Saving faith is through the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, but unified in loving the brethren. Loving the brethren. Uh, this is one of the most disheartening things that as a pastor I think I've experienced over 34 plus years now pastoring. To get Christians to love one another. To get families to love one another. I mean, it's no surprise to me that we can't get Christians to love one another when we can't even get our families to love one another. I, I listen. I I know who I'm talking to. Three quarters of us in this room, in practically all of us, have been affected by separation, divorce, by schism, division in our fa- own families. There's people here that have siblings that you haven't talked to in years. I don't mean to be harsh. I don't mean to be hard. There's division and breakdown in their family structure. There's the loss of love, loss of forgiveness, loss of unity. Why wouldn't there be loss of unity and loss of love and loss of uh, of uh, of togetherness in the house of God as well. It happens all the time. I've used the illustration many times. There's many people that will not come to Harvest Baptist Church because, number one, I'm here. Uh-huh. And then there's many people that won't come to church, Harvest Baptist Church because, number two, you're here. They don't want to be here if you're here. They want to be here if I'm here. There's so much schism and division in the, the body of Christ. But we need to love the brethren with a pure heart fervently. Let me end with a, on a positive note. We'll sing a song here in just a moment here. But Listen, we love all the, we're, we're called to love all the brethren, right? That means we love every, every, there's some churches that are very close to our church and maybe even far better in our church than right here in our backyard, right in our neighborhood. They love the brethren. Maybe they don't do things exactly like we do things. That's okay. We can still love them. I got a dear pastor friend I'm thinking of right now who's one of my best friend, pastor friends in the world. He doesn't see eye to eye on this King James things that I see. He, he uses a different version in the pulpit. I love him to death, and he loves me. We can, we can still we have a, we, we can agree to disagree, but we can love one another. We love the brethren, period, end of story. And the Bible, the song says, they'll know we are Christians by our love, by our love. So this church at Colossae, just, just this local New Testament church, they had a lot of good things. Paul's got some... some some uh, violations or some great egregious errors that he's going to expose, and that's what this whole book is about. But right now he's buttering them up. He's giving them the salutation. He says, I love you, and you're, you're a great church. You love. You, you're in Christ. You know that saving faith is through Christ. You're, a prayer, you're, you're unified in prayer and thanksgiving. But he's going to lower the boom as we go through this book here a little bit, and we get into the latter part of chapter 1 and chapter 2, and for that matter, chapter 3. But let's have a closing word of prayer, and we'll sing... Uh, Sherry, come, we'll sing one verse of something here. Trust and obey here in just a moment if you get that ready. Heavenly Father, 
Lord, uh, thank you for your love and mercy and grace in our lives. Lord, uh, the fact of the matter is we are still very flawed even though we're saints. We don't give thanksgiving like we should all the time, but Lord, we are thankful. We love you. We want to praise you. We, we know that salvation is by grace alone. We know that, Lord, we should pray more. That's why we had this prayer, one reason why we had this prayer meeting. Lord, we know we should love the brethren with a pure heart fervently. So help us to be about your, your will and do your will in our hearts and lives, we pray. Dismiss us with thy blessing, we ask in Jesus' name, I ask. Amen. Let's all stand together. Let's sing page 200. Uh, trust and obey. 337.